Well, good evening. Okay, good evening. Hello. Hello. Hello to you in the room. Hello to those of you who are online. Welcome to our Ash Wednesday gathering, which is actually, for those of you keeping track at home, our first. This is the first Ash Wednesday gathering we have ever done here at Regen. And so I'm really glad to have you here. If you're online, I'm glad to, to see you through that lens. And this is actually acting as the conclusion for our third quarterly day of prayer. So once a quarter, we set aside a whole day to pray together as a church, usually around a theme. The theme uh, for today, as it was for the previous one, was uh, repenting and believing so that we can increase our hunger for God. And so we had people, some of you in the room, some of you online, that signed up for 15-minute prayer slots throughout the day. People prayed then. We had some Zoom prayer times throughout the day. And now we're here. And usually, usually kind of this gathering is a little different than how it will be tonight. Tonight is a little bit of a Sunday-ish kind of format with some different stuff. Usually we spend a lot more time, I mean, we just circle up chairs in here and pray together. Uh, but with this day being Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, we kind of wanted to mark that in a specific way, so I'm glad that you are here. Uh, tonight we are going to sing together, we're going to pray together. Uh, I, I, I pinky promise you, I wrote you a shorter sermon. Okay, like it is, I mean, by word count shorter. Let's see what happens when I get there. Um, and then we will uh, end the night by uh, what we, what's called the imposition of ashes. So someone will invite, you'll be invited forward and someone will place a cross of ash on either your hand or your forehead. If that freaks you out, feel free to just hang out in whatever seat that you're in. We'll receive communion together too tonight. So I'm really looking forward to that. So can I invite you to please stand uh, and honestly, even if you're watching from home, can I invite you to stand as we uh, read scripture tonight? This is uh, Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand up and weep. Between the entry room to the temple and the altar, let them pray. Spare your people, Yahweh. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Father, we've uh, come into your presence tonight, and we come on a night that seeks to remind us of our humanity and our frailty, but also a night in which you meet us with compassion. And so as we sing, as we pray, Lord, would you meet us here in this space tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's sing together. Father, we've come to fix our eyes on you tonight. We've come to see and live into the mental map of reality that you hold in your head and to embed ourselves in your story. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come on this night? 
marked by repentance, that we might be hungrier for you, that we might know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to be in uh, Psalm 103. Psalm 103. When we were, got here, practiced, got the space set up, I uh, said to our team, I said, how many of you have been, how many of you have been to an Ash Wednesday service before? And they raised their hand. I said, how many of you liked it? And everybody kind of just did this. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So let's see if we can kind of, you know what I mean, by the end of the night. Today is Ash Wednesday. It is the beginning of a 40-day journey of preparation, otherwise known as Lent. The earliest Christians prepared for the Easter celebration with fasting. And within the first two centuries of the church's life, the practice evolved into a 40-day season that included fasting, that included giving to the poor, that included preparing new converts for baptism, which happened on midnight on Easter morning. Uh, This season of Lent, uh, this 40-day period, was also how uh, the church welcomed back into its life those who had been, frankly, excommunicated. See, in 21st century church world, If I confront you about your sin too much, you'll just pick up and go to another church. But when church is your family, when you are part of the only church in a city, when you have forsaken business and money and wealth and home and biological family for this group of people, it was a very serious thing to be removed from the community. They were removed. And so these lapsed believers were welcomed back into the community during Lent. So why do we call it Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday derives its name from our origins, from the very way we were made. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And when sin entered the world, all of creation was subject to curse. So the Lord declared, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. When all is said and done, we are little more than dust and ash, destined to return to whence we came. And so tonight as we contemplate our dustiness, I want to invite you to look with me at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. The book of Psalms is a compilation of poetry. It's really a compilation of songs, songs sung by the ancient Israelites. Uh, It's like a hymnal if you're old school or if you're new school. It's like a Spotify playlist of all of the songs for Israel's life. There are psalms for every human emotion and every human circumstance found in these pages. And Psalm 103, which we look at tonight, is one of the best, or if not one of the best, one of my favorites. And its companion, Psalm 103 and Psalm 104, they're written together. Of them, Derek Kidner says, in the galaxy of the Psalter, these are the twin stars of the first magnitude. Uh, Another scholar says that Psalm 103 possesses the most soaring lyric in all 150 of these songs. 
because this psalm, Psalm 103, touches on nearly every part of our life with God. Sin and forgiveness, sickness and healing, danger and rescue. And we're not going to cover the whole thing tonight. I just want us to start in verse 14. Verse 14, which says, For he, that is God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Psalm 103 is in part an exploration of our humanity. And here in these verses, we are reminded of our frailty and our weakness and the brevity of human life. We are dust, the psalm tells us. It borrows the language out of Genesis. And then it adds to it, not only are we dust, we're like the flower of a field, a wildflower, maybe even worse, a weed, a dandelion. Here today, gone tomorrow. The human condition isn't just marked by brevity and frailty, it's marked by deep brokenness, which Psalm 103 verse 10 calls sin and iniquity. Sin is a word we're familiar with. It simply means missing the mark. Iniquity, the Hebrew word for iniquity, it's much more descriptive. It's much more rated R. Uh, it, it, it refers broadly to perversity and depravity and iniquity and guilt and, and these taint, this taintedness. And during Lent, During these 40 days ahead of Easter, we are invited to a dual encounter, an encounter that happens in two ways at once, two intertwined dynamics. And the first encounter of Lent is with our humanity, our frailty, our weakness, and at a deeper level, an encounter with our sin. Lent seeks to hold in front of us a mirror, but in this mirror, we do not get to cultivate our beauty uh, or... uh, indulge our vanity in this mirror, we are forced to look at our zits. We are forced to look at our ugliness and our sin. Of course, the question is, what does God think of our sin? What does God think of us, weak and sinful as we are? Psalm 103 says that God knows our frame. He knows how we're made, but we can't help but wonder with what kind of knowing With what kind of knowing does God know our frame? Is it a knowing of contempt? Is it the knowing of a bitter, old, angry, married couple whose marriage is on the verge of divorce? You always this, you never that. Is it a contemptible knowing or is it another kind? In fact, it is another kind. Look at how verses 14 through 16 are sandwiched. If that's the Chick-fil-A chicken meat, what is that you've given up for Lent. What is the sandwich bread? Look at verse 13, starting in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And in its place, it knows it no more. Verse 17 says... But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. God knows our frame. He knows us. He knows our humanity. He knows our weakness. He knows our sin. And he knows it 
with compassion and steadfast love. It's a very particular kind of knowing. It's a particular kind of knowing that sounds like good news. And then it turns out, though, in Psalm 103 and the whole thing, there's a lot of good news. Look at verses 8 through 12. Verses 8 through 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Uh, Recently, a friend sent me a copy of his resume. He's applying for a job. Uh, and, And reading verses 8 through 12 of Psalm 103 feel like reading the Lord's resume. It feels like reading his job description. He is merciful and gracious. He will not always chide, means that he won't always rebuke. Throughout my day, I have a significant number of opportunities to chide my son, right? Don't touch this, don't touch that, don't touch this. Please pee in the potty, please pee in the potty, not on the floor, on the potty. Pee in the potty, not on my pants, on the potty. We're getting there. I have a lot of opportunities to chide Jack, but I don't take every opportunity I get because grace and mercy overlooks, right? Grace and mercy says, I'm not going to worry about that small thing over here because I'd rather be working with him on, yes, peeing in the potty, right? When I have my wits about me, when I am well-rested and I am well-fed, you know, so in other words, those two 10-minute periods throughout the day, I don't deal with Jack according to his sins. I deal with him according to the mercy that I want him to receive, right? And this is like the Lord. If I'm in any way a good parent, it's because I have the best parent, right? I have the Father. He does not repay us according to our iniquities, The text says, instead, he does the opposite. With a love so great, it can't be measured, which is why as high as the heavens are above the earth. Listen, in biblical times, they did not know the difference between the stratosphere and the ionosphere and the atmosphere. and and They did not know how far away is the moon from me. What they knew is that's a really big distance that is basically infinite. As high as the heavens are above the earth, God loves us with an infinite love. God separates us as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? I'm asking. How far is the east from the west? Far. (laughs) Far. Lent is a dual encounter. The first encounter is with our humanity, with our frailty, and with our sin. Ash Wednesday and Lent, they invite us into a season of repentance, which Peter, you remember this weekend, said is a privilege. But the second encounter, entwined with the first, the second encounter is an encounter with a loving God, a loving Father, who does not despise us for our weakness. He does not have contempt for our weakness. He loves us in our weakness. What does it look like for God to love us in our weakness? 
How does God remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west? Paul says in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On Ash Wednesday, I received an invitation from the God who does not hold my weakness and vulnerability and sin and contempt. Instead, God looks upon my humanity, warts and all, and he looks on me with love and compassion. In Latin, the word compassion literally means to suffer with, com passio, to suffer with. And in Christ, God takes on the fullness of humanity. He experiences betrayal. He experiences heartbreak and injustice and violence and abuse. He is hungry. He is thirsty. He encounters the many challenges of being part of a family. He even experiences death. All of the anger that God justly has toward us, has toward our sin, all of that anger and wrath is let loose on Jesus who knew no sin but became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God's anger and wrath poured out on Jesus, crushes him. Jesus dies. But that is not the whole story. On the third day, Christ rises again by the power of the Holy Spirit, a power which Paul says, uh, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power living in us. As he, is, as he rises again by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus steps from the tomb, he unveils a new kind of humanity, or maybe not new, maybe the kind of humanity we were always meant to be and always meant to have. In Jesus, God embraces our humanity. He looks at our weakness and our frailty and our sin. He does not look at us with contempt. He looks at us with compassion. On Ash Wednesday, this God invites me in my weakness, in my humanity, he invites me into an embrace. He invites me to embrace my humanity as he has embraced it. I find within myself a remarkable drive and pressure to perform, to put my best foot forward to cultivate for you, to cultivate for the world a particular kind of image. And so while I may present with a great deal of self-confidence, the truth of the matter is that in the quietness of my own soul, I recognize an almost relentless drive, relentless desire to cover up my weakness and hide my vulnerability. And this is something all of us do, and this is something we have all been doing since our first parents, upon discovering that they were naked, hid themselves, covered themselves with leaves. Since then, we have all been trying to protect our vulnerability, hide our weakness, cover up our flaws. And there's a variety of ways that we go about this. For some, it's an endless hustle, crushing goal after goal after goal and an endless quest for success. For others, it's glamorizing their lives on social media. For others, it's engaging in self-righteous, almost pharisaical obedience to God, yet ironically apart from him. And for some, or even maybe for most, 
It's a simple two-word answer repeated over and over and over again. I'm fine when we're really not. On Ash Wednesday, we are invited to embrace our humanity. This, by the way, is very different from accepting defeat. Embracing our humanity is not accepting our defeat. It's not throwing up our hands and saying, why don't we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? This is a common question that Paul received in Romans 6. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? If God is embracing our humanity, if he loves us, if, if he's always willing to separate our sins from us, as far as the east is from the west, why try? Why seek after righteousness? And so, so, so Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Think, some people thinking our sin gives an opportunity for God to forgive. Don't we want to give him an opportunity to forgive? And Paul's answer back to that is the strongest possible Hekno techno in the Greek language. Me genoito, H-E double hockey sticks, no. By no means shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound. Embracing our humanity is not accepting our defeat. Embracing our humanity is not throwing up our hands and giving up. Instead, embracing our humanity is coming to the realization that our weakness and vulnerability and our sin is the very place where God works his best. It's the very place where his grace is best put on display. So Paul elsewhere says, when I am weak, then I am strong. If this is true, if this is true, then Jesus was at his strongest when he hung dying on the cross. Jesus was at his strongest when he drew in that last ragged breath and said, into your hands, I commend my spirit. You and I are at our strongest, not when we avoid our weaknesses or pretend like our sin isn't there, but when we, in the words of Jesus, repent and believe the good news. The good news is that in my weakness, I am radically and deeply loved and therefore I am strong. This is the good news, that God is creating communities, spiritual families of weakness, where our flaws are embraced, our weakness is honored, and we are nurtured into the new humanity that Jesus has opened for us. Together, you and I, we journey toward newness, holding each other on up, holding each other up on broken knees, stumbling into glory. And so tonight, I, a, a broken, flawed, and sinful human being, will have a cross of ash placed on my forehead by another broken and flawed human being. I will have a dual encounter. I will have an encounter with my dust and ash from the dust I came and the dust I shall return, but that dust shall be shaped like a cross. The place of God's love for me. The place of God's embrace of my humanity and transforming it into something else. It turns out that the cross of Jesus 
is the place of his greatest strength. And so as that cross is placed on my forehead, someone will say over me, repent and believe the gospel. Instead of despising our weakness, instead of pretending it's not there, we can repent. We can agree with God and find my weakness, our weakness, to, the ver- to be the very place where God longs to meet us most. Let me pray for a minute. Father, we come to you in our dustiness. We come to you in our weakness. We come to you in our frailty. And God, we come to you in our brokenness. We come to you in our sin. And as we do... We're met with compassion. We are met by one who wants us to know that we are not the sum total of the things that we have done wrong and the things that have been done to us. We are not the sum total of those things. because the cross of Christ takes those things that have been done to us and those things that we have done and ends their authority over us and invites us into a new story, a story where the things that we have done and the things that have been done to us are healed and renewed and refreshed and become for us a place of strength. God, I confess that this kind of strength does not feel very strong. I confess that the places that you have healed me, those places where I am still a work in progress, feel very fragile. That they feel very tender. They do not feel like places of strength, and yet we trust that your weakness is stronger than human strength. We trust that when we are weak, we are strong. And so Jesus, tonight we come out into the light because it's there that you long to meet us. It's there that you long with your grace and your mercy, with your steadfast love that is as high as the heavens are above the earth that you want to meet us and separate us from these things that are in us and making us bitter and, and hurting and you want us to experience this new kind of humanity and so Jesus would you come tonight as this as this cross is placed on our forehead this cross made of what we will one day become remind us that you are telling a different story that what looks like brokenness looks to you like a canvas help us tonight to repent and believe the gospel amen so let me just offer you some instruction 
especially for those of you in the room. Uh, in a minute, uh, Zach and I will be up here and available to you and um, kind of just going to invite you to move from the front backwards. So like, you know what I'm saying? Come forward. And either on your forehead or if not your forehead, if you'd prefer just to be on your hand, we will draw a cross and we will say over you, repent and believe the good news. And this is not um, an exercise in religion, or at least it doesn't have to be. It can be an encounter with the living God who longs to meet you in your humanity tonight. So, Zach, would you come and join me? And so we come to the Lord's table. If you've never done this before, you kind of rip the bottom part where you see the cracker. Open that up and grab the bread and hold on to it. We'll take it together. In about 39 days, 38, 37-ish, we'll remember the night when Jesus was betrayed and took bread. And when he had broken it, he gave thanks and he offered it to his disciples and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This body that's exactly like yours. He says, eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Flip that over. In the same way also, in that supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Father, as we gather around this table, we're reminded that to be healed, we to be healed, we first must be broken. To be full, we must first be emptied out. And so tonight we seek to encounter you in our humanity. Tonight we seek to receive your healing embrace. you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand as we sing together? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
So go in your dustiness and find strength as God transforms us by his spirit through the accomplishment of his son from one degree of glory to another. You're loved. We'll see you soon.